hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast that is stood right behind you. Don't turn around. The beast is risen. He is awake. And you will worship him. He is here now. It is Joe Ford. Say hello, Joe. Is that you mucking about, Fraser? Stop mucking about. Don't turn around. Do not look at me. If you look at me, you will die. The beast is also here in the form of Simon Hart. Say hello, Simon. Hello. <laughs> I'm very scared. He is risen and he will bathe in your blood. Oh, so you sound like a little girl. <laughs> the trouble is, we have to look around because you're so pretty. We like looking at you. Turn around. <laughs> <laughs> well. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this evening's or this morning's or whenever you're listening uh, commentary on uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. I apologise in advance for that rude introduction that everyone's had, um, but it should be a bit of a giveaway for the episode that we are discussing tonight, which is The Impossible Planet. So, Joe, hmm? why why are we discussing The Impossible Planet? Because this was your choice. Because I fucking love it that's why because i think season series two is much underrated and i think this is possibly the best story in that season um and it's one of those very very rare things i recently did case of androzani and i said in that that is very rare that all the elements of a doctor who story come together script performance music direction every single part of it works in this it's a good example of doctor who at the very top of its game that's why i wanted to do this that's a good good enough reason side would you agree <laughs> with what joe said there there's a confidence to this that i um, had taken me by surprise when i rewatched this it's one i always forget about which is not a bad thing because it's always overshadowed by oh sarah jane's coming back Oh, the Cybermen. Oh, the Cybermen and the Daleks. Oh, Rose is leaving. Oh, everyone hates love and monsters apart from people Me. with taste. Oh, I love <laughs> As it. As I said, a people with taste. Um, so, um, so, so I saw that, that kind of thing. And I'm just thinking, do you know what? Actually, this is really, really bloody good. And it stands up so well. And it stands up so much better than... I remember it every time I watch it it takes me by surprise at how brilliant it is yeah I think I would agree with that as well I think what um, what <laughs> we can't all be in agreement something's no, going to be wrong hang on something's <laughs> going to get no don't no, don't even something's going to go awry throughout this thing I'm telling you <laughs> it's it's um it's the ambassadors of death of season series two what in does my that opinion mean? It means that it's really, really good, but because there's other stories in the season, just like Sai said, there's other things in this series that people talk about more, so it gets neglected. I mean, if Ambassadors of Death was in, you know, season eight, it would be much more heralded as the absolutely masterpiece that it is. But because it's, you know, comes before Inferno and it comes after Cyrus and Spearhead, it just gets 
it gets lost in that crowd. And with with this, you know, Impossible Planet and Satan Pit, you know, coming in the series with, um, you know, Tooth and Claw, School Reunion, um, the Cybermen, the Cyberman versus the Daleks, uh, and all the rest of it. It's it's so easy to focus on those. I would say in this series, the best episode is Girl in the Fireplace. That's another really strong contender. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is one of my all-time top five favourite slash best. What, of the new series? Of, of all, of everything. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, um, I think I think I put it number five when I last did, did that was, you know, that's how highly I rate Girl in the Fireplace. It's, it's one of the best. Um, so, yeah, it's really easy for, for stories in this series just to get lost in amongst the greatness that there is. Well, I mean, there's a reason why Fear Her gets lost and, you know, perhaps the Idiot's Lantern and things like that, you know, they are. Well, you know, I I saw Fear Her, at, I was at a wedding the day Fear Her was on mm. and I took all the kids to babysit um, up in one of the hotel rooms to watch Fear Her and they all absolutely loved it. And they loved it in a way that Doctor Who fans didn't love it because they were kids and they really got it. And so I've always had a really warm feeling to, towards Fear Her that not many people, other people have because watching it with a group of sort of five to 13 year olds was a completely different experience to watching it on my own as an adult. I've got a shock for you though, Sai. Now hmm. all of those children have in fact gone on to be axe murderers after watching <laughs> as an example. After spending a night with me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because they, they loved Rose chopping away at that door with the axe. Honestly, what an irresponsible babysitter. Oh, I know. <laughs> so we didn't open the wardrobe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, so coming back to the episode that we are talking about tonight, um, when, obviously you just have both watched it in preparation for this evening's recording, as have I, when was, when was the last time you watched it before then? A while ago for me, mm. quite a while ago. In fact, but I haven't really watched much Russell T Davis stuff for a little while. I, I've been sort of focusing on a lot of Moffat and Chibnall. So, but yeah, I've got to be honest, <clears throat> it's one that slips through the cracks. When I go back to watch like a season and just choose one episode, it isn't one. And I wonder why that is, because it is bloody good. I think for me, it's because it's a two-parter. You know, if I... Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, if I'm going to sit and just watch the odd episode, if I, you know, think, oh, I want to watch a, a Tenant, I want to watch a Smith, I want to watch a Capaldi, whatever, I won't necessarily be drawn to the, the two-parters because... You then have to watch the second part, um, where you know it's so. There's nothing actually wrong with this episode. It's just that you have to watch both of them to get the full, the full experience. Because um, you know, I, I look, I like this. I like Impossible Planet. I think there's some really good stuff in it. But there's some stuff that I don't quite enjoy. But that miraculously melts away by the Satan Pit. Ah. So for me, you know, it's it's one where you have you can't just watch one and leave it at that you've got to watch both of them together you're talking about rose tyler aren't you yes yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say is it because rose and the doctor are split up well i was trying to keep that as a as, as the cliffhanger for the end of this episode Thank but you. Then she, she's incredibly proactive in the second episode isn't she and she's she is driving a lot of her scenes yeah. 
when yeah, when the so rest anyone of them that's listening up. to this now can just skip the Satan pit because that's, <laughs> that's, that's all I had to contribute to that one. They so. know already. The pair of you were doing really mean impressions of Billy Piper at the end of our last commentary. Yeah. <laughs> just turn off now and just go and watch the Dominators or something. And yeah, it's, I love bloody Dominators. You had to get that in here somewhere, didn't you? Hey? Bang. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well. So, should we make a start on this and start watching the episode and discussing it, chaps? I'd love to. Go on then. Okay. Who's going to count, count us in? Uh, will you do it, Sai? Me? Okay. Yeah. I'm five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. Oh, let's go, humans. <laughs> I'm going to give you a hug. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the TARDIS doesn't sound well. No. And there's an impressive high-angle shot there. Yeah. Oh, go on. I know you guys are going to have a go about the pair of them laughing here. Go on. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, shut up, you two. Honestly. Oh, oh. oh I really Why? hate that oh, moment. Allow me to give her a defence. Why can't they enjoy their adventures? What's wrong with that? It's sickening. No, it's not. <laughs> It's sickening. They're the in cry. love with each other and they it's love traveling the universe together. Great. This is why I was asking when you guys last watched this because I'm betting you've watched other stories from season two. Season two, sorry, before this. Yeah, I usually you know watch I mean? the last so two. Army of Ghosts. You've watched them more recently than you have this one. So I watched this one because I knew we were going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already watched a few sort of episodes. Of series two because I was doing a little bit of a rewatch and then yeah I went back and watched Girl in the Fireplace again and suddenly it's clicked because if you watch this in isolation if you just come and watch this then that is an absolutely appallingly sickening and cloy and <clears throat> so smug and oh aren't we great scene if you watch it in the context of going from um school reunion into Girl in the Fireplace into um, the Cyberman two part uh, into Idiot's Lantern and then into this, you can see the progression a lot better. Okay, that it's not just um, the Doctor and Rose being so bloody annoying. It's no, actually... it's the isolation, isn't it? Watching it on its yeah. own, it it doesn't work. But actually, in the course of the series, it does. Hello, and here we are with one of the greatest um, inventions of the new series, and one of the one of the. The best loved monsters. They, they. Do you know what? Apart from the angels, they're probably the most prolifically used, aren't they? The Ood. Yeah, it's yeah. These and the, it, the big three are the um, the angels, the Jadoon, and the Ood, aren't yeah. they? So, all from Rusty Davis's time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I always forget how fast these titles are. I still love. They them. move really quickly. Off we go! I say I back round to Roach just for a second, right? Because I want to offer an opposing yeah. opinion. I knew we'd get here pretty quickly. But it's not mine. It's Stephen Buzavinsky's, who from New to Who. And series two of uh, the new series is his favourite season because of the, the Tenth Doctor and Rose and the story that's told. And absolutely, yeah, if you look at... Um, any poll outside of Doctor Who fandom, the beautifully toxic area that that is, 
this is the doctor and companion that everybody champions outside of doctor so there is absolutely an enormous audience for this pair it may not be to fandom or your tastes but there is absolutely a lot of love for ten and rose absolutely i remember at the time of broadcast being absolutely swept along um totally enjoying the romance being as devastated as everyone else come doomsday when um they were separated when i rewatched everything up to date so far before the 11th hour again totally swept away swept along by that point so at the time absolutely i would i would kind of agree and say this is a, a fantastic pair and i think what's happened since then is probably we've had um better examples of a, of a doctor companion relationship i think um it's not rose that i object to in this it's the rose <clears throat> and doctor dynamic going on i think you know the the elements of rose that people find problematic and it's usually in the second series it's uh sort of her jealousy and her kind of cattiness and all those sort of unpleasant elements to her character i just think they make her so real that's like you and me in the tardis like somebody who is yeah up for the adventure and blah 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 but we're also jealous we're also you know that is a real person and i do like that rusty davis will plant somebody slightly unlikable at the heart of this series and he certainly isn't in a long game with this pair because he has them being smug as asses throughout the season. And at the end of it, it's like, well, here's your punishment. We're going to tear you apart. We're going to put a bloody universe between the two of you. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely think that is what's happening here. This is um, RTD, you know, laying it on with the trowel, you know, the the smugness, the, the cavalier attitude towards what's going on. Um, that's what I don't like about rose in this is the fact that you know she is got no sense of danger whatsoever there's all this stuff going on and she is just cracking jokes and well, i don't and, know and, though the second episode she is she is shitting it a bit in this yeah i think she has mo absolute moments and those sort of things that i'd forgotten sort of watching this this time round. that there are moments where she you can see it's bravado and she's deeply scared underneath it. She's doing the Elizabeth Sladen thing of saying one thing, but you can feel she's feeling something else entirely. And I think Billy is bloody brilliant, actually. There's a bit, isn't there, in this where she's on the phone and it's the it's uh, from the beast, isn't it? And then she just slams the phone yeah. down. She throws the phone, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. It's like, yeah, everyone is feeling the primal fear of the devil. And it's really, really unsettling for everyone. It's like an omnipresent fear, isn't it? It's just always there. And I think there's a suspense to this because you can feel that kind of evil around them all the time. And, it, you know, it's, it's an ultimate base, base under siege, isn't it? Because they can't bloody go anywhere. And it's a really good base as well. Oh, it's such a good design, isn't it? And it's dirty. That's what I like about it. It feels lived in. Yeah, yeah it feels like they've been there a long time. I, I love that they've put all the writing on the walls of the base and things like that because it's just in front of them. Do you see the table in the, the room where they eat? It's all covered in state tea stains and things. Yeah, like, that's, that's a nice touch, you know? Yeah, that's the attention to detail we're getting 
in Doctor Who at this point. It's it's really good. It all feels real despite being in space, which is a very Russell T. Davis thing, isn't it? That he yeah. wanted it to be about pioneers and always the human race out in space, so that you've got something to cling on to. And you can see this. This is this is someone's workspace and their living space all together. And it's got all that muck and filth and doesn't the black hole look great? Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I was just distracted by that. With that opening the roof shot yeah. and seeing it above you, it's just beautifully done. They've done that deliberately, haven't they? So he can say, I'm standing underneath a black hole, which is just yes. such a vivid line. It's impossible. Is it? <laughs> well, no. Well, actually, it's not because... um. Jason, Jason Thompson, uh, one of our, uh, our <laughs> friends here, was known for many, many years as the impossible planet guy from the Planet Scaro forum, which we were all on, um, because he went to great pains to explain how none of this was actually impossible and was actually perfectly reasonable and could actually happen. Yeah, but the so, Jason, if you're there, I took it in. <laughs> would not be a very exciting title, would it? No, the not impossible planet. <laughs> <laughs> the perfectly reasonable planet. Yeah. <laughs> in In... In sort of the time-honoured tradition of, of these things now, I did reach out to Jason on Twitter well um, to get, you know, an opinion on this. So um, he's, he's explained himself perfectly well. He says, you know, well, I was known as the impossible planet guy for a while, primarily, primarily due to my strong views on the general lack of impossibility of the titular impossible planet as presented. I think he's written that known fine well. I'd have to read it out. Um, <laughs> there is nothing inherently impossible about the planet in orbit of a black hole. Um, as I've said before, I don't expect scientific accuracy all over the place, and there are many fantastical concepts that can simply be accepted narratively. When the writers put actual science concepts in as a major pop points and ask them up, that's when I get irked. Um, black holes are real. And an awful lot of the evidence we have for their existence is based on the behaviour of things that are indeed orbiting them. A single line could have avoided it. It could have been stated the way the planet was orbiting the black hole was impossible. So... I don't think their priorities are to make this scientifically accurate, though. I think their priorities are to make this an, a compelling piece of television. And I'd suggest that they succeeded with the, the, the creative choices that they made. I mean... You know, I've got a science degree. Um, I've probably forgotten more about what I learned at university than I've ever learned. Um, but the thing that strikes me as inaccurate about this is the fact that they've just, you know, Rosa said, oh, that's a that's a terrible wind howling outside. What's, what's that storm? And they've said, well, how can you have a storm when there's no atmosphere? If there's no atmosphere, you can't have a sound. No, I know. But it makes for a fantastic visual later on when he's standing out there on the, the wind planet, smiling in the wind so who cares in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> in i have the wind. things to say about that when we get there oh the, no, that's <laughs> the planet with no atmosphere you can't stand in wind in no atmosphere there is no wind wind but is I that atmosphere you technically pick apart most science fiction doctor who stories in this way and say well there are inaccuracies and where's the fun in that you know I think it, it, it depends if it takes you out of it, though, because, I mean, my my biggest bugbear is, is Logopolis with the entropy because that's not how entropy works. Entropy is not... Fabulous, it? Watching it getting eaten away on the TARDIS scanner screen. Entropy doesn't work like that. That's not what entropy is. It's not... It so does in Christopher H. Bidme's mind. It's 
It's like he's the, the god amongst us. If he's called it the flux, then it's not an issue because he's actually <laughs> some actual real scientific. I love how much you are pro flux. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> it, can flux. I just say? Because um, it was a while back now. But I think Murray Gold gets a lot of criticism for his bombastic music. But that violin music he plays over the Scarlet, whatever it is, is haunting. I think this is actually a really haunting score um, in the way it's quite different to what he normally does. There's still all the action adventure bah, 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 bits that are going on. But there's also lots of really creepy bits where he's actually accentuating the mood and the atmosphere and adding to it um which is is really good it doesn't he sometimes his music works against the atmosphere of a story but here you remember the end of the age everyone of is on board at the end of the age of steel and there's just so much music and it's loud mm. and honey the dialogue half the times because it's just so over the top whereas here it's a bit subtler isn't it it's a bit more creepy it's i don't know it's just it, i feel like he's put a lot of thought into this score it yes, stands up I with think... um, the girl in the fireplace as well. I mean, that's another just beautifully simple melody that's played out just on one instrument on the piano. You've got that, and that really adds to that story here. You've just got that melody on the violin, um, and then you've got like when the orchestra does come in, it tends to come in again, all just on the strings, and they have that piece that just kind of like swells a little bit. It's it's so beautiful. This, the score here, um, I think series two, he's done a lot more work than he actually gets credit for in all the examples where he has just dialed it back, stripped it down and given us something really simple. Yeah, I agree. Um, what about, like, we have got to talk about this guest cast and the phenomenal character writing in this. I'm just gonna yeah, they're, there, they what are... we need to talk about at the minute is the scene. I... I'm going to hug you. <laughs> oh, and he, oh, for God's sake. Humans, you are amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> oh. Do you know who could have pulled this scene off? Jodie Whittaker. Yes. Yeah. It wouldn't have felt quite so clumsily added in with her doctor. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. This is a beautiful cast this is perfectly cast that no one here is hugely famous they're all usually guest cast second people um but they're all absolutely perfect for the roles that they are playing and they play them beautifully and they seize everything so i mean it's really difficult to single out anyone for being absolutely brilliant amongst this lot oh, but i'm gonna but you're going to because it's ida isn't it because she is well, just amazing she, she's amazing so <laughs> <laughs> too i think she has some of the best character moments she, she really does but zach zachary he's brilliant he's really good and he's got all the doubts because he's taken on command when it's it's the age-old Doctor Who story of someone coming to take command when they're not really meant to, and this wasn't what they were supposed to do, but they have seized it, and they're doing their best. And he's smoking fucking hot as well. My God, the, the things I would do to that man. The Stop older it. I've got, the, 
better looking he's got. I didn't didn't really notice when I was younger when I was watching this in my 30s. But now, oh my god. Your attention was on well, my Zach. attention is still on Will Thorpe, yeah. <laughs> as Toby said. Oh, what but... was Zach? Who the hell's Zach? Is there a Zach in this? Um, Zach is that Zachary Crossflame captain. Oh. oh, that's the one I fancy. Oh, okay. Yes. Is that the one you fancy? <laughs> right, so do you fancy Scooty Minister? <laughs> Scooty's lovely, bless her. Yeah. Oh, so is Ida. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like I said, though, you, you look at this cast and you, you automatically assume that they've been in loads of stuff. You know, it's you think, I mean, is it Claire Rushbrook that plays Ida? You know, you think, I've seen her before, I've seen her in loads of stuff. And you actually go into, like, Wikipedia or IMDb, yeah, there's not that much there. Um, I think that's kind of a testament to how, same with all of them, how how well they inhabit. There was, I think, at this point, it was probably was Will Thorpe that was the biggest name because um, he was... A casualty regular, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. yeah. And the guy who plays um Zachary had been um David Tennant's Casanova. friend in Casanova. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? So hence why they play so well together. I think how they're written is I don't. Like, very often I feel like uh, guest characters in a Doctor Who story feel like they are written as guest characters in a Doctor Who story, and the Doctor is the most important character. Actually, I feel like in this, they, they it doesn't feel like um. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like actually the doctor's intruding into their story, that this yes. is a very real environment, um, it, both in how it's realised and how the cast is written. And it's the doctor trapped with them rather than them populating a Doctor Who story. It's, it's Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. Um, this is one of those stories where you feel like they've had a history before this Doctor Who story starts yeah. and they've got one... Afterwards. for whoever is left afterwards and it's the and... really clever writing um that does that world building you know you've got things like um you know when they're discussing the power source and um who's the head of security guy um jefferson oh mr jefferson oh, the few of the by Empire. the amazing danny webb danny yes. he's a great actor didn't you know, he play you know, um bill's x in 2.4 children i think he did you know Oh, yes. Yes, he did. Sorry, Fraser, you were saying? Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's talking about the, the power source fueling the Empire. I mean, it's just lines like that, isn't that? They then need to be thinking, oh, well, the British Empire is back and... and I, you know, <clears throat> is that kind um, of Robert Holmesian way yeah. of creating yeah. a setting with just a few lines? Yeah. Do you know what they do and as well? Um, it's character as well, because there's a line later where the Beast says to Mr Jefferson... Um, did your wife ever forgive you? Well, let me tell you a secret. It's, she never did. It's like the master manipulating everyone in the demons, isn't it? When he's got the village, um, the villagers all in, and he's letting out their secrets one by one. But none of it's, it's expounded upon, is it? It's left. No, but, they, build but they all react and they all react differently to things. And, and that's that's brilliant. Then the scenes like this where they're sort of having dinner, you know, sitting having mm-hmm. the dinner. I mean, when does that ever happen? It just brings a sort of, you know, realism and homeliness to it and just helps build that. It helps, obviously, that you've got two parts to spread the story over. Yeah, So for that sure. you can have, you know, bits where, you know, you're Uda talking. So if this is so good, why did Matt Jones not come back and do any more? 
Oh, I'll tell you why. I know why. Well, it, why is that? It, it, this was heavily written, rewritten by Rusty Davis. Oh, oh. Massively problematic script that had a top-to-toe rewrite by Rusty Davis. I've uh, forgotten that. Yeah, That's I think he did exactly... it in the Torchwood, didn't he, Matt Jones? He might have done. I'm not yeah, he up did, on he Torchwood. Did one of the so... two when, you know, when Owen died, when Owen got shot in Torchwood Series 2, he did one of the two. Joe Lister did one and Matt Jones did one. That wasn't great, if I'm honest. And I'm wondering if that that was just Matt Jones kind of let off the leash to do his own thing. Oh, no, he was scripted it by Chibnall in that season. That's probably why. No, I was going to say, I think this feels much, much more like the Russell T. Davies story than it does anyone else's. I mean, there's there's all the sort of hallmarks there of, you know, massive character moments. Um, Deus Ex Machina in the resolution. Um you know, it, it feels this could very much be a Russell than more than anything else. So I feel like Russell T. Davis had like two two kind of more stabs at this, didn't he? Of like a contained setting with a, a well-defined group of characters. One was Midnight and one was Waters of Mars, and they're both superb as well, I think. Yeah, I think there is an element of this which, you know, is is a bit off, which is, I think what we've got is is a massively um scary story coming up now we've got um you know obviously we're, we're the scene now that i replicated at the start of the beast behind it's just you know, full of tension it is but there's so many other bits in it where russell is trying to undercut that tension and bring a bit of humor in the, the cold open is a classic example we talked right over the top of that but we must you know, be you we must feed we must feed and you've got that tension of you know these scary looking monsters coming for them and then we must feed you if you are hungry it's it's such a weak joke i love it i think it's great but it's you know it's 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 there to to bring a bit of levity in and there's other scenes as well that making you get to the satan pit and they're crawling around the the air ducts making fart jokes and yeah but i think do you know what there are some some of the most chilling moments in the new series in this two-parter and but you can only go so far this is for a family audience you cannot send those kids to bed sweating and screaming you know you've got to be responsible to a point the second episode there's a scene where toby zed is in the thing and he's screaming his head off going you know i am the best i am this and it's an adult behaving in in such an appalling way and fires coming out of his mouth i can imagine a little and sitting there watching that absolutely bloody terrified and you know what stephen moffat would let them yeah, well, Stephen Moffat's irresponsible and digs up the dead and turns them all into Cybermen and burns people in the cremation and has them feel it. Like, Stephen Moffat is a bad man. So, again, reaching out on Twitter, I had... Um, <laughs> you have Stephen Moffat? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's back on Twitter, folks. Get at him. What does he say? Shut up, Joe. No. Um, <laughs> uh, Stephen Alexander asked, is this the scariest the new series has been? It's up there. I'll say it's up there. I think it, there's a good case to say, yeah, yeah, there is. I think think it probably is. I think the ones that beat it are the Stephen Moffat story. So um, Hyde. Where we've really? also got... You think Hyde's scarier than this? Absolutely. Oh, the, you're that. waiting for that jump scare, aren't you? You're waiting for that. The whole of Hyde is just that scene. The Hyde the... is undercut throughout yeah. with Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman goofing around, behaving like loonies. 
it's got that whole tension of you know things that go you know bump in the night um listen as well the whole under the bed under the duvet the thing that's knocking behind the door but you know being scared of what you don't see in in listen is a lot scarier um i feel you even blink where you know it's it's just that tension of something's <laughs> going to happen something's going to jump out at you any minute so i just stuck a song out <laughs> at the mere mention of blink <laughs> But I, I probably would say that there's things in Blink that are scarier than this. I think this is this episode is one of those ones that's more scary as an adult than as a child. I think there's there's some character scares in this that I really really like. Um, and I'd say Midnight is scarier as an adult as well, and that's because the people in that little box behave so appallingly um, that if I was in that position, I would be absolutely terrified. But I don't know. It's it certainly this is. I think this is tea time horror at its best, though. Like, and it it's kind of pushing this the scene in a minute with um, Toby out and grinning and uh, beckoning what's her name Scooty to her death. That's that's pretty strong. I tell you what. I don't know the doctor having to get a mortgage. That's pretty <laughs> scary. <laughs> I was going to see. I don't know. So we could now. get one together. This scene that's on now is pretty horrific, isn't it? I, no, no, I thought actually that was really nice and touching, especially the bit where the doctor says, I promised Jackie I'd always get you home. And this, as Stephen B would say, this is the only season where you can have a story, a scene like this, because we are doing a, a romance story between the doctor and his companion. It's, it's subtle, but I, this wouldn't work with Martha. This wouldn't work with Donna. Um, Would this work with the Doctor and Yaz? Oh, I'd love it. I'd love this with the Doctor and Yaz. Yeah. Mind you, I wanted to see them kiss in Legend of the Sea Devils on the beach. So, you know. Interestingly, though, it is the second time we've seen this scene. Is it? Mm -hmm. When's the first? The exact same scene in Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, only it's not the Doctor and Rose. It's not. It's the Doctor and Madame de Pompadour. He's an old whore, isn't he? <laughs> Any girl in a fireplace. <laughs> a girl in every fireplace. <laughs> did that did that sit better with you then, the one in the girl in the fireplace? Well, I think it was well, it was better written. I think um the writing was better, the the performances between um Sophia Miles and David Tennant are just you know up. You know, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's because they were fucking, weren't they? They were. And then it's it's different. It's a different dynamic, and this is what kind of struck us because again, when I watched it the first time in preparation, this scene jarred and stuck out just as much as the the one that made us wretch at the start. Um, but then you hey, you wretch, excuse me. And then you watch, um, you know, you see the equivalent scene in Girl in the Fireplace, and you come to this one, and it's the same scene, but it's different. It's sort of like a mirror image. Um, you know, it's sort of like yin and yang, so exactly the same, but just, but just differently. So again, that really helps to um, bring a bit of context. In you know, this. but you know the difference between this and going to the fireplace is that Rusty Davis understands television, yeah. So he understands what gets bums in seats, and the will they won't they thing has been a formula that's been a success for many, many, many years, going back to moonlighting and way beyond. And that's what he's doing with Rose and the Doctor. It's like, yeah. don't ever consummate a re relationship. They can't. Because the second they do that, it's kind of dull. 
So it's the, yeah, the but t- in a one episode story, the doctor can profess his love for someone who is absolutely and utterly doomed to die. Yeah. 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 And but does that the fact that he does that in this in this season where he's supposed to be in love with Rose more than anyone else in the whole universe, does that show him up, show up that he's not really invested in it, he can't be, or or is it just that he's just a doomed romantic figure, whatever happens, but no, I always come away right. thinking it feels like it's in the wrong place when this is supposed to be a season about the doctor and the companion being in love and he finds a woman that he loves just as much and goes after her in every way. I feel like it makes him a total bloody whore and I've never to the doctor more. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, girl in the fireplace, you've got to remember that Mickey's around as well. So it's not Mm. just about the doctor. Rose is is there as well. You have a wonderful scene in Girl in the Fireplace between Rose and Madame de Pompadour when they both talk about the doctor and um, their feelings for the doctors and and what. But um, I just need to bring her back to what's happening in the story now because this is the scene where he's in the wind of the atmosphere of this planet. And this whole scene is just an absolute... Come on, Sai. Si. You've got something melt. to say. <laughs> oh, God, I'm melting. <laughs> you, he's that's a smile. He's that's, well, God, I'd be seduced by him. Oh, my oh, God. My God. <laughs> We're getting a now an insight just, into Sai. That smile with the wind blowing. Oh, Jesus it's, Christ. <laughs> it's the score behind it. It's, yeah. it's Murray Gold's, you know, single violin going and, you know, Scooty is almost seduced and... yeah. Isn't it wonderful as well how she, yeah, how she kind of goes towards him and then she's panicking and then she's screaming. And yeah. I feel like when you see adults absolutely panicking in a Doctor Who story, that's some of the scariest moments. Mm-hmm. And you know, she knows she's going to die now. Like, yeah, but she's got no chance of knowing you're going to die. That's terrifying. Yeah. And the fact that someone you know has done that to you is quite incredible. What I think really sells this um, scene as well is the fact that we are very invested in this crew now. Um, You know, we've had that world building, so we are now, you know, totally invested. So when we've lost Scooty, we feel it. And I think the way that plays, the rest of the scene plays out, you know, in a minute when they find our body, um, again, is, is beautiful because... It's, it's a pattern throughout. We feel the loss of every single member of I've this. Got a question group. for you then, both of you. Okay. Well, why is it we feel the deaths of the people in this story, but not say, I don't know, the 500 people that die in Resurrection of the Daleks or, you know, countless other Doctor Who stories? Is it just that they're better written and they're more likable? Yeah, it's not necessarily that they're more likable. I think it's just that they are better written and we feel like we know them. You might not like them all. Um, Mr. Jefferson particularly is not particularly likable for a lot of this story. But each one of them, I think we just know a bit about them. And so you're just a bit more invested in them. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, Resurrection of the Daleks, you've got sort of Eric Sabre there. 
you know, with his very functional writing of, you know, people are not so much characters as just plot points and, you know, quite disposable and, you know, a good ending for him is where there's no one left alive, um, which really does quite cheapens, you know, an on-screen death. Um, whereas, I mean, just looking here now where, you know, Rose's reaction and everyone else's reaction to seeing Scooty floating above the dome. Um, they all love her, don't they? That's the thing. Yeah. Really, yeah. They all really like her. So they're all appalled by the fact that she... And that special yeah. effect... And I know it, maybe the CG's a little bit dated, but... But it's not CG, is it? It's... No? Well, not real... Well, the, obviously the, the black hole is. But they, they filmed her in a, in a swimming pool for hours so that her hair moved like it was in zero, zero G. It's one of those things... It's, it's, this is um, James Strong's first story as a director, and he's always been referred to in my house as James reassuringly expensive Strong. Because <laughs> if he can find the most expensive way to shoot something, he will do. What else? So here he, so here he, he's got the the shot in hours in the um, underwater doing this. He does um, Voyage of the Damned, where he gets all the Titanic. Um, um nap napkins and um things tableware all hand embroidered <laughs> so that it's absolutely right he sends the the doctor who confidential crew off to um new york to get um skylines of new york in evolution of the daleks which they could have just cgi'd and things like that he's just always just a little bit bit expensive and a bit oh I could just spend a bit more money on this. <laughs> I do think, though, he's also reassuringly stylish, his direction. Now, yeah. whatever you think of Voyage of the Damned, yeah, that is a beautifully directed story. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I really like that. And here we've got Doctor Who in his orange space suit yes. for the very first time. Yes. This is one of the, one of the <laughs> things we'll be, be seeing right up to this year. It's, so that uh, spaceship, so, the, uh, the spaceship, sorry, that space suit that Matt Smith wore and Capaldi wore and Jodie Whittis is going to wear, yeah. all came from this base. This one, yes. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you must have, you know, pocketed us on well, you know, at the end. Yeah, I've, you know, I've saved you all, so I'm going you know, to keep the clothes. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember all the episodes. I think, uh, did Capaldi wear it in Kill the Moon? Yes. yes. And Oxygen? No, oh, they have different, different suits in Oxygen because they've got the Oxygen suits. When does Matt Smith wear? Is that, is that in Hyde? Yes. And, and is in, um, in the forthcoming adventure. And David Tennant wears it again in The Waters of Mars. Yes. Oh, now you're talking. Waters of Mars gets my juices flowing. Uh -huh. no, this is not. I like this. This is just... <laughs> I quite like her kissing his oh, helmet. Yeah. It's gonna pass. It's gonna pass. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's it's just that another sickening moment of of cloying. I would take yeah. a subtle moment of intimacy over. You know what I'm going to say now, don't you? Amy Pond trying to fuck the Doctor at the end of that Weeping Angels two far any day of the week. I rest my case. <laughs> Get a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> they're going oh, down together <laughs> if she'd have said at the end of flesh and stone here let's get a mortgage i'd have found that more acceptable <laughs> look at that look at the shot there of yeah. um 
of like the the walkway and then mm-hmm. the, you know it really feels real doesn't it they've put some real thought into how this looks don't you like the fact that there's like steam everywhere as well it feels functional it's, yeah functional and dirty and grimy you know but what they... this is what warriors of the deep should have looked like oh you are right you are so right oh that feels weird coming out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Fraser. we all know you're thinking it joe I, know, I, I, I admit it sometimes as well <laughs> um i just take a perverse enjoyment and disagreeing with you but no you're right had they had it doesn't it didn't i always say they had to turn the lights down and warriors of the deep but they didn't have to turn the lights down it just had to be a bit grungier and a bit more lived in yeah we don't, I, I, like, I quite like the tension of these scenes this feels kind of like inferno where we've had the drilling but we don't know what we're drilling down to. And only this time we've got someone actually going down and they don't know what they're going down to. It's and of course it's going to be the doctor, is isn't it? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, um, so earlier on, you, you mentioned that this was not a scary story for children, but, but I have a tale of youth. but not my own youth (laughs) this time just for a change so um my big nephew who is now 20 years old was six when this story went out and my dad was babysitting oh no so my um my brother had said under no circumstances was my nephew to ever watch doctor who because didn't want him to turn out like his uncle simon (laughs) (laughs) um so, brilliantly, no, no, it wasn't my brother. No, this was not my brother. Oh, God, this is my sister's children. Oh, God. <laughs> I've got to get this story right. So, no, my sister had said, under no circumstances was, my, was, was he to watch Doctor Who. And so my brother was babysitting for him, and une- unexpectedly something had happened, and my brother was babysitting, and sat him down and watched School Reunion, which he absolutely loved. Hey. So, so he was he was sort of big into Doctor Who over this year and had really enjoyed it. And my dad was babysitting for him the night he was staying up with my dad. And my dad went to cook dinner and left my nephew watching this story <laughs> on his own. <laughs> and the basically the ood opening their eyes and their eyes being red and being possessed absolutely fucking scared him so much that he was having nightmares and he had to go home in the middle of the night back to my sister's house because he would not sleep you know what i because think we found a more irresponsible babysitter than you then so si, haven't we yes my dad should know my dad should know better than this so so yes um so it the ood really really scared him and he still has a visceral Oh, moment with the Ood whenever they're on TV to this day that he can't explain, but they really shit him up. Don't you think it's a great idea that um, we kind of get a basic backstory of the Ood in this, but then in Planet of the Ood, that's kind of expanded a great deal. And we, you know, we, we see how these Oods are shipped out to all these places. And I, th- I feel like with that extra context, these Oods feel even more sympathetic than they yeah, do. They feel even more tragic, don't they? Because they are a slave race. 
And yet it's lovely then when they're liberated, you know, yeah. we're all in the end of time, hanging about in the caves with the big brain head. And... Mm -hmm. and say what you want about Rose. She is the only one calling them out on this yeah. and yeah. saying, oh, basically, you've got a slave race. They do the jobs you don't want to do. But she, she is there. She, she always does that, doesn't she? She always, like, talks for the people. I think yeah. that's quite a good thing about her. Because I love that, that scene that we talked over earlier on. Where, where she says, oh, I was a dinner lady for a while. And it's just that little call back to earlier in the season. and just, But she doesn't get a reaction from them because they don't react like that. You remember you said earlier about the mystery at the heart of this. You know, we're going down, blah, blah, blah. You, you don't get anything more mysterious than a great big hole, do you? Covered up by a manhole cover. It's true. And this is um, Doctor Who's first quarry in new Doctor Who. Yes! So we had We've got a proper quarry and they're filming it at night and it's great. It looks right. And do you not, do you not get um, echoes of flesh and stone in those scenes? Because they have CG'd in oh, yes. and the quarry. That's they? right. And they've got the big, big gravity light as well, haven't they? That, that floats up in the air, lighting the whole thing. And I just think aesthetically, it, it reminds me of, of those scenes in flesh and stone. Which are a couple of seasons away, yeah. Oh my god, this is so scary. Look at all those symbols on his face. Yeah. Let me tell you, she never forgave you. What is he talking about? It's just world building again. It's um Do you think he had an affair? Do you think he hit her? Who knows? No. It what could be you? anything. He might have spent all the all the housekeeping for the week. You know, Rusty Davis pulls off the same trick, doesn't he, in Waters of Mars when Yon Fella says to Adelaide, just as he's about to die, you never forgave me, did you, Adelaide? And then he dies, and we I never know what yeah. that was all about. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. So good. Fraser's dog has now joined us on the recording. He's cute. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid we, uh, we've got someone who, who's just even cuter than Fraser now. Yeah, sorry, Fraser. Yeah, it's a little, little, it's come for a little cuddle before bed. Right. So we'll oh, I love this. About. <laughs> Where Zach, Zachary's like, someone report! Because <laughs> he's been saying yeah, because for all, about 10 minutes. Yeah. All the time, he has he has to carry those scenes on his own. He's doing really well because he is isolated from, from everyone else for a lot of this story. And he's doing a lot of work over communicator and over screens with people rather than being there in person. Yeah. And it takes a certain kind of actor to be able to pull that off really well. And he does it really brilliantly. Naturalistically like that, you know? Yeah. Because oh, those scenes could be really dull. It would have been very disappointing had we not seen the personal balls of death at work that we get now. <laughs> and that, that, oh, that, no. was, that requires <laughs> some acting to death. <laughs> The red shirt on the mm -hmm. black jacket has been... But no, it really, when I was watching this, I was like, it genuinely feels like the shit has hit the fan and everyone is in incredible danger. Yes. That's, in I'm ways not... you don't understand or expect. Although we do have a terrible cheat. The direction cheats in a minute. And I, this is the one bit I have an objection to because... At the end of the episode, where it's like, um, the pit is open and I am free. And the camera comes up out of the pit as if something is emerging. And it's bollocks. Nothing is. It's just, yeah, it's just style, isn't it? Yeah. But it does feel like that's a POV shot, doesn't it? Yeah. 
feels like something is something big, like Azal is coming out, or Sutek, or well, whatever. Because of course, it is, yes, because of course, it is Gabriel Wolf who is back as the voice of the beast because he's cast because he had the scariest voice in classic Doctor Who. I am Sutek the Destroyer. Where I go, I leave nothing but dust and darkness. And he's the man that Evelyn falls in love with in Big Finish. Evelyn, I'm in love with you. I'm asking mm-hmm. you to leave the Doctor. Plenipotentiary Suskins. Oh, isn't that a great story, Arrangements for War? Yes, I love that one. God, so good. So, so good. Oh, my God. It's Indian. Yeah. Yeah, look at... Did you see the background there with all the different levels? Yeah, and... Mm-hmm. Really, really nice. And, and I do remember when this aired, I was on the edge of my seat, like, oh, I'm desperate to see the next episode. Yeah, and it's a it's very small cast, but they're all really good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting that we've kind of, like, talked about, you know, this cast, um, this crew, these characters that we're really invested in, and we've completely missed the fact there's just a random red shirt floating around. <laughs> And there's a, there's a second one. There's a, there is this, a, a woman, isn't there, one. who dies at the start of ne- next episode, who's in the security team. To kind of walk in in the first scene with Jefferson and, um, you know, they never named, they never speak or anything no. like that. But it, again, just adds another layer, doesn't it, to the realism of of this setting, um, of saying, well, actually, this is a real... Um, Oh, there you go. You see. Oh, look, there she is. She's dead already. (laughs) (laughs) You remember in 42 in the next season? um, Now, I'm not really putting this on uh, 42 on par with this, but at least Chibnall has that moment where the red shirt woman, who's the woman who played uh, Rosa Parks, uh, Vinette Mm -hmm. Robinson, and she has a scene where she's basically grumbling because she's a red shirt and all she does is um, hike things back and forth. You know, we could have had some of these red shirts in this game. Well, I didn't get to say my backstory, did I? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> but come on like how good was that as as a piece of uh, doctor who? yeah that was a very classy piece of doctor who that was yeah that was that was great um you know it had tension it had um you know beautiful character work um you know good performances throughout um but i think you know the, again the standout thing for me in that episode is murray gold just mm-hmm. absolutely knocking it out of the park. Um, you know, I'll have that tune in my head for days now. Um, well, well, I've got this. a question for both of you then before we out into episode two. And that is, do you think this is the sort of Doctor Who that Doctor Who fans like are longing for week in, week out? Scary, based under siege strong characters like it's it's nothing too different from the norm you know there are plenty of other doctor who stories of this ilk do you think this is the sort of doctor who the doctor who fans love oh god yeah this is um hinchcliffe who done with a big budget really isn't it this is what a certain group of fans will always say doctor who should be it's horror it's scary it's dark and um you could tell from the tone of my voice that I don't necessarily agree that that is what Doctor Who should be. Do you know what's um, even better, though, is he follows this up with, oh, after the Satan pit, with Love and Monsters, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly, because 
because yeah he's not interested in telling just one kind of doctor who at all is he it's just to be fucking contrary i think <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think um i'm gonna disagree and i'm gonna say um this isn't the type of doctor who that doctor who fans are looking for because seriously doctor who fans can't agree on anything so <laughs> no. it's a good point um well- most Doctor Who fans can agree that they didn't like Legends of the Sea Devils, or at least I certainly saw a lot of that on Twitter this week. Well, I liked Legends of the Sea Devils. So I think it's room for improvement, but... No, I think, um, you know, it's 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 a type of Doctor Who, isn't it? It's it's a base under siege. Um, it's a very RTD story. You know, if that's your, um, if that's your thing, you're going to love it. If it's not, if you're more into the sort of comedy element, if you're more into the... Um, you know, sort of fast-paced action sort of stuff, then you're probably not going to enjoy it. You'll probably enjoy the next episode more because there's more action in that. But it, it really depends on what you, you know, what what type of Doctor Who it is that you like. I'd certainly say as like a scene setter in New Who, this has rarely been bettered. No, I think you're right. I, I think just the the whole atmosphere and the attention to the detail in this episode has made it something that should be celebrated and something that should be a bit more celebrated than it probably is yeah definitely 